Hi, everyone. Welcome to the roundtable on anti-Asian hate. My name is Min, and I'm very happy to be your host today. We're glad to see that people have joined this very important discussion. So while the session today is centered on the topic of anti-Asian hate, our talk is still hosted for the most part on land that has been colonized. And to remain silent is to continue our compliance with the issue. So before we start into the discussion, I would like to take this time to acknowledge that Marianopolis College is located on land which has long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst indigenous peoples, including Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations and unceded traditional territory of the Kenyan Tehaga. So let's introduce our panel now. So please, could you say your name, your profession, your pronouns, and the age-old question of where are you from? Okay, I think I'll go first. So hi everyone, my name is Xu Zhao. I'm from China. I, I was born in China and I I came to Canada at at age of 11. So rather recent compared to some of us. And it was, and it was a nice experience for me and and it helped me learn English and French after and currently I'm studying at health science at Marinopolis. I guess I could go next. So my name is Serena Zhang. I'm a second year also health student. I was born in Canada, but though my parents are from China and my pronouns are she and her. All right, then I could go next, I suppose. My name is Charles Margo Elcano, and I was born and raised in the Philippines. I moved to Canada three to four years ago as an international student, and I'm currently studying health sciences as a first year at Marinopolis. Um, I can go next. Hi, my name is Karis Wang, and I'm born and I'm born in Canada, but both of my parents are immigrants from China, and I'm a student in uh, social sciences at Marinopolis. I suppose I should go next. Hi, um, I'm Fian Xing. I was originally from China and my pronouns he and him. And I'm a law society and justice student. Obviously, now we also have to introduce the guest of honor, Mr. William Deere. Would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, yes. I was born in China, but I came to Canada many, many years ago. Uh, I came to Canada when I was uh, uh, seven years old. Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather first came to Canada in uh, 1909, and he paid a $500 head tax. My father came in 1921, and he also paid a $500 head tax. And, um, and then my family was separated for uh, three decades uh, mm -hmm. by the Chinese Exclusion Act. So, so that's the background of my family. And when I came to Canada, uh, my parents uh, were separated, like I said, for, 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 for many years. My father went back to China uh, every five to ten years uh, to have some to have some children. So so um, when when the exclusion act was repealed, my father finally got his uh, citizenship. So for sixty two years of Canada's history, uh, there was uh, standing legislation against the Chinese Canadian community. So um, Sinophobia uh, is nothing new to the Chinese community here in Canada uh, because of uh, the uh, anti-Chinese racism. So, so for a long time, uh, I've uh, I've been involved with the head tax, Chinese Exclusion Act, 
redress movement. And we finally got an apology and a very limited uh, redress uh, from the Canadian government uh, in uh, 2006. And so after that, I guess uh, I started writing my book to try and record the history of the Chinese uh, here in Canada. And Professor Chu tells me that a copy of my book is in your library. So if you get a chance, have a look at it. It's called Being Chinese in Canada. And since then, uh, with all the things that are going on here in Canada and around the world, I, I've been involved with the uh, anti-racist, anti-Asian uh, hate uh, uh, movement. Not as active as I was in the past, but I do support and I do voice uh, our concerns related to uh, anti-Asian uh, hate here in Canada. So I'll just turn it back to you. Okay, thank you, William. Most of us here are living in Canada and we do identify racially as Asian. To you, what exactly does it mean to be Canadian or to be Asian? Yeah, well, I guess uh, I guess that some of us will be will be talking about talking about how how do you feel you belong to to which to which to to which let's say to which ethnicity, which I do agree. Like sometimes sometimes it's all about your feelings. Like you feel like you belong more to Canadian, more you are more Canadians than Asian. Well, sometimes sometimes that's what it is because maybe you 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 grown up in Canada. And you didn't know much about the Asia. Well, that's perfectly fine. But sometimes, sometimes I do feel that it's also it's also the it's also from the perspective of others how others identify you, because you you may think you're you're an Asian or you're a, a Canadian all you want. But if someone's for for example, I have a cousin. She thinks herself more like a Canadian. But well, she well as she has yellow skins and brown eyes. So I, everyone that looks at her, well, they think that she is she is an Asian, she is a Chinese, and well, it's not it's not a big deal. But it means that she can't deny this part of the identity from herself. So it's not it's not like a hundred percent a choice. But you can, I think that you can choose at some degree, like what you can become. I totally agree with you. And um, I don't know, my experience might be different because I was born here. But for like a big part of my life, I didn't really have this question. I knew something was weird because um, I felt like we had different experiences with my white counterpart friends. And I just remember being like watching the Olympics and being like, which country do I root for? Oh, I'll just root for both. It's fine. But um, slowly, the statement that you apply that it's how other perceive us, like to which identity we belong to depends on other people. I have an experience about that. So um, I used to, well, I still skate with um, a lot of like my coaches and their skaters, and most of them are white like Quebecois and they're like the sweetest people ever like bless your soul but I just like sometimes they make comments such as um oh Harina I mean you're not a true Quebecois I mean you're and then they like stumble on their words and then they don't know what to say and like I get what they mean but like it's always kind of awkward or sometimes they're like oh yeah so are you you're my favorite Chinese or you're my favorite 
Chinese person. I'm like, yeah. But even though when every time I go back in China, I feel like a total stranger. Like if here I feel uncomfortable, when I go back to China, it's a whole different thing. Like people see me, they might think I'm, no, not even the way I dress because the fashion is different a bit here and there. So whenever I speak, you're like, oh, your Chinese is so good. And <laughs> I don't know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty funny experience. This live, I guess, not exclusion, but something similar in both countries. Um, can I like add on to it? Basically, like I grew up in, I was born in Montreal, but I like lived in the in some village, like like in the middle of nowhere in Quebec, and I was like literally the only person in, like the only Asian person in the village, and so like when I went to school, it was quite awkward, especially like in kindergarten because nobody like really saw an Asian person, right? And then like, and then. So I always like thought I was like white because of like of the area I grew up with. I was like the only Asian person, so like my only Asian things were like my parents and all. And then they were quite busy, so I essentially grew up really whitewashed until like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then um, and I remember like in uh in first grade or in second grade, I moved to Montreal again, and there were like and it was like in the West Island, so then again it was still quite white. Like as an area, and I remember like we're getting comments like saying like oh like they were pulling their eyes or like um they're saying like oh like is the pinky like the Chinese little finger and like I was like six at at the time I obviously didn't know what that was, um, but yeah so like growing up I always like thought of myself like oh like I'm Canadian I'm like born here, and all and like why and like why wouldn't I be considered Canadian, you know because like I have like full Canadian citizenship. But I'm like, when others look at me, they're like, yeah, but like, you're fully Asian. And then like, why can't you speak Chinese properly? And I'm like, well, I like really Chinese like that. Uh, and yeah, like, I went back to like, um, the mainland like twice. And then both times I felt really like left out because of language barriers and all of those things. So like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I'm curious. Like this applies to everyone, not just Karen's. But did like did anyone ever like do that Chinese, Japanese, Korean thing like with the eyes? Oh yeah, I had that. I had right. that. Sorry, what is, is that? This? Like with the eyes? Oh, it's like it's so racist. It's like Chinese, Japanese, um, Korean oh eyes are like different shapes. It was an Asian person. I think it was a Chinese little girl. I don't know if she knew what it meant, but it was actually a Chinese girl that showed it to me the first time. I'm like. Yeah, I, I, I had, I didn't get the Korean one because like, it was like 20, it was like uh, 2008 and like nobody knew what Korea was and unless if you were like Asia. <laughs> oh my God, this Asia, then, like, yes, China yeah, and Japan. And so well, like, along with the Philippines, I had this one friend, the first friend, uh, I'm good with him now, but it's still like an inside joke between us that he thought the Philippines was actually in like some... Well, it's technically still in Asia, but he thought the Philippines was in the Middle East or something like next to Dubai or <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> because probably of my skin color, uh, he assumed that I was Muslim. But <laughs> well, it was a rough start to a friendship, but yeah, we're good. <laughs> oh my god. Mr. Gear, do these experiences sound familiar to your own? Or was it completely different during your generation? Oh no! I, I, yeah, it, it, 
I think it uh, is very much the uh, same experience that I had when I was younger. That, you know, when I started going to school here, I wanted to just fit in. I don't want to be, uh, I didn't want to be Chinese. In fact, it was uh, people who were non-Chinese uh, that brought up this issue of me being Chinese rather than myself being Chinese. But after having lived this experience for such a long time, I think the only uh, thing that I can add uh, to this conversation is the question of uh, identity awareness and and to how to take pride in one's identity. Because um, one thing that my father taught me, and uh, he lived most of his adult life, or all of his adult life here in Canada. And so his, his way of coping with the racism and the discrimination uh, it was his own identity awareness. So whenever something bad happens, uh, he would just say, uh, oh yeah, that's because we're Chinese. Uh, because that's the way uh, society was in those days, that the Chinese did not have uh, any uh, rights to uh, certain jobs or any job to compete with the, uh, with the white man. Uh, and so he, uh, he was able to, I guess, to, to survive and to cope uh, with this understanding of himself as a Chinese person. And today, uh, I'm, I, the only advice I would give to young people who are feeling this way in terms of being lost is that if you, uh, you know, use whiteness as a standard for yourself, then that's going to be a problem because uh, you will never achieve whiteness and you will never achieve the privilege of whiteness. So you're not a white person. So just understand your own identity uh, as, a, as an Asian person, as a Chinese person, Korean or Filipino person, and take pride in that identity and establish yourself that you belong here as an Asian person here in Quebec or in Canada, because we have been here for over 150 years. We've built the railways, we've served the food, we've washed your clothes uh, in laundries. So, so we have a right to be here because we've done the work, we've labored uh, you know, for, for, for the society that, that we live in. And so if you want to uh, apply your white privilege to me, uh, I don't want to hear it. In fact, I will uh, you know, stand up for my own identity, and I will not accept any uh, white uh, BS from anybody. Uh, but that, that's because of the experience that I've had, uh, you know, years of uh, struggling against racism. Uh, and so, uh, so, so th that's the only thing I can, uh, I can offer to you is, is my experience. Uh, take pride in your own identity. Uh, never be ashamed of yourself of, as being uh, Asian, because Asian people make up more than half the world. So just think about that. Thank you for all that advice, William. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up like establishing your own identity because we live in Canada, right? And there's always this expectation of what an Asian should look like. And often I've also heard comments where like, you don't do that. You're not Asian enough. And there's also floating around this idea of the model minority myth that like all Asians should be hardworking. We always have a sense of responsibility. So what has been your experiences with trying to grapple with your Asian identity? Yes, I can go ahead. I actually have really specific examples. Maybe people in this um, discussion have also felt the same way, but I'm from a very conservative Catholic, French high school. 
and like no one was explicitly racist because that would just be rude but it was always a little comments like oh oh of course you're good at math hey can you help me with the homework oh well of course you're gonna have a hundred because you're asian like it's like comp backhanded compliments that i'm sure like everyone here got at some point but i remember being and i'm a bit ashamed to say this i'm because of all the stereotypes and um comments associated with the Asian identity was always ashamed of being Chinese just like William said like you shouldn't be you should assert yourself but at that time I was really ashamed it was, especially the environment it was really toxic like you know Quebec pride like be Quebecois, parle français, speak French and all that and so I was I tried so hard to move away from the stereotype I hung out less with Asian people I purposefully try to make like white friends just to like not be one of those Asians, you know, one of the good grades Asians, one of the plays volleyball, plays piano, even though I did, even though I did everything, like I just tried to move myself away from the image. And I don't know if that worked, but it didn't make me feel really awful because like I was basically rejecting a part of myself that I could never move away from because of my appearance. So you said that you still did play piano and volleyball and all these stereotypically Asian things. So how did you handle that? I'm trying to think. I guess not hide, because we all knew a bit. But I did, like, shy away. I remember drawing something, and then my friend was like, oh my god, it's really cool, let's show it to the teacher. And the teacher was like, oh my god, it's so cool. I feel like all Asians have like that special gene that makes them draw better. And I, I just remember feeling so insulted. At that, re at that point, I wasn't sure why, but now I know it's because like the, he didn't attribute that talent to me, he attributed it to my race. What? That doesn't even make sense. But anyhow, um, but like that, I feel like, I don't know about y'all, sorry if I'm talking a lot, but um, coming to Marinopolis has really helped me a lot facing that self-hate I was imposing on myself previously because there's so many Asians and I remember being like oh why why am I going to Marinopolis I remember people asking me what stage are you going and like Marinopolis and they're like oh like the other Asians like yeah like all the Asians oh and then now I look back and I'm like oh, Marina no stop that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um can I add to the conversation Ooh. Yeah, so um, I took karate before, which is like, which just adds on to the stereotype part. But um, I was, but like, I started like pretty late, and um, and like I remember we were doing like this thing called like a kata, which is like, from what I remember, it's like a sequence of moves or something, and like we had one for our exam, so we were obviously practicing it and like sweating, and then at one point like. At one point, because I was like really near the exam, so we had to like practice, practice, practice. And if we screwed up like one move, like a minor detail, like your foot wasn't positioned like fifty degrees, it was positioned forty five degrees. You like have to reset the whole thing. And then so at one point, I was the one who messed up. And then the teacher, like the teacher, didn't mean any harm with it, but he was like, "Karis, how did you screw up? You're Asian." <laughs> and then like, and like it was a joke. He wasn't white, so like I like laughed it off because like you know like. <laughs> But like we were like, how old was I? I think it was, I think it was like I think it was like grade six or something. So like, I think kids will have like some like type of critical thinking, but I still felt kind of like 
okay it's like funny but maybe not <laughs> you know and then like I remember in like when I around like grade six like when I was like heavily into anime I'm pretty sure like we've all had that like one phase where like we just like oh like, yeah I'm still I'm still into that but um but because of like time I don't really like watch anything anymore but um I remember like just like really wanting to be Japanese and like this is like this sounds so wrong because like I am Chinese so like you know the the call the colonist thinking comes and then and then like and then so like you know because I'm Chinese but I was like really whitewashed and would people like say like hey like is it true that you do this and then like I wouldn't know because sometimes it's like specific to a region in China and then like you know like if I can't explain like my own culture then like why really be like Chinese so then I was like so then like with like all like the influence of the anime I was consuming I was like you know what let's pretend I'm Japanese instead like I didn't go too far into it because like I know like it would be so embarrassing you know like you know the typical like 12 year old like weeaboo like pretending like really wanted to be Japanese I wasn't like that hardcore but like a part of me really wished I was Japanese because like, I saw how well it was like received compared to like Chinese media you know like what Chinese media is out there that's localized in the west besides like two Chinese anime that came out like 2016 <laughs> so yeah and um in terms of like academics I was I wasn't really like a good student like I would get good grades but I was also like a huge procrastinator. So um I wouldn't sometimes I wouldn't do well. And then I just like felt like like people wouldn't say it to me out loud, but I would still like feel like pressure to get good grades, like innately, you know? Because like I feel like those people would like assume that I'm like really good and all. And I remember like at the beginning of Sec mm-hmm. Five, um, we were like doing a review of like Sec Format. And then like there were students like around me that were like and I had like an Asian girl in the back and we were both friends and we would compare answers and then like the girls around us would just like ask me hey like Karis like is this good and then like can you check and then like like I just get so nervous because I'm like what if I screw this up (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I can actually relate to that like there's I feel like this model minority myth it promotes us in because of the stereotypes of us being hardworking, independent, it causes us to internalize it and have this constant fear of failure. Like in the end, we internalize it and we have the fear of failure of not upholding these stereotypes. And this has happened to me so often. And it's because of that, it, I internalize it in a harmful way as if like I'm like people pleasing. And as a result, I don't put, I don't set healthy boundaries in my workload and of work safety and for instance back in high school I remember when there's group works because I feel like since as I was new there and I didn't really I wasn't I hadn't really settled in the community yet and all these white people because in my school I did I didn't see a lot of people color minority groups in the school that I attended so it was really very they feel like over uh, such an overwhelming presence to me and so I didn't know how to approach them as my group mates. Instead, I thought, okay, I'll just do like all of these works. And if I give it to them, then everyone will be happy. Like they don't, I don't have to ask them to, okay, you have to do this work. I don't have to like, uh, I don't need to. So in a way I'm actually doing the group 
but at the same time, at the same time, I'm not imposing onto them that I'm the leader and that I have to be bossy and all of that. And as a result, it's as if like, well, in the end, it's bad, of course. It's just I'm putting too much into myself and I'm not negotiating properly to, to get what I also deserve and all that. It's, it comes in a fear of, you know, asking help when it's necessary. You know that, yeah. Yeah, legit. Sometimes you feel like there's like a hidden hair. Yeah. I don't know how to say it in English, but like, did you ever feel that like, and unconsciously, and always like made interactions awkward? Yeah. Yeah. I like the perspective rules you. Like, if you like, none of my math teachers were Chinese. They still love math. Like, what's wrong with mathematics, right? Like if you are good at with math, just shine. If you are not that good, that's how it is. Like don't be don't be afraid to do anything or not to do anything just because like they think you are Chinese or not. Like this is not the point. Like the things themselves, piano, math, or or animes, they they have, they have nothing to do with with like identities. They are just what you are and what you love. Mm-hmm. Like for me. For me, like you can you can hear that I have a strong accent because I learned English and French re- rather late. But like before, it was even worse. Like at some point, I couldn't even like use straight straight sentences to communicate. And yeah, so my so the image so the image I gave was like really a Chinese like not now now me was Canadian at some point. And yeah, so because of that image. They always th- they always think what I should do or I shouldn't do. Like as at the beginning, I thought, yeah, you think I'm good at math? Sure, I'm good at math. Yeah, fine. But in the but in the end, I ju- I choose to like I'm good at math. That has nothing to do with you. You think I'm good or not? Like I'm just good at math. Period. And this and this is what it is because in the end of the day. You you become what you want to become, not what they want you to become. That's mm-hmm. what matters, I think. Mm-hmm. It is um, hard. Oh, oh no, sorry. I just wanted to ask William because um I think he did do an engineering degree. Was that it? And you know I think most of us are in um the sciences in some way. I know Karis and Fei Yang, you're in social science and law. But what was your own experience like? Being in the STEM field like that. Well, uh, you know that was a long time ago, and I guess uh, the main reason why I went into engineering was uh, uh, was economical. It, it was ec- economics is is to get a job, you know. Uh, and and at that time, I guess the best way to get a job is to uh, is to learn uh, engineering. Uh, get an get an engineering degree. So, but that didn't stop me from branching out, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, of uh, knowledge, uh, because I was very curious. I uh, I wanted to find out how the world works, uh, not just how uh, machinery and uh, and algorithms and and uh, you know uh, programming works, but how the world itself works. And this is. Um, this is why I got into engineering, but I guess uh, you brought up uh, a very uh, interesting question or key question in terms of stereotyping and model minority. Because when you stereotype 
an Asian person into the sciences, into engineering, into the technical field, then that's how you're known as, 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 as the IT guy. And uh, the IT guy uh, will be stuck in middle management, uh, you know, because uh, uh, they won't offer you uh, the promotions and they won't give you uh, the, the, uh, the head of the department kind of uh, jobs because uh, you're good. You're stereotyped into uh, solving problems, uh, solving uh, mathematical problems. Uh, and so, so, so that's the, um, the negative aspects of stereotyping. And uh, I can't think of any positive aspects other than uh, making our own stereotypes. Uh, and um, and uh, whoever was doing the kata, you know, become uh, Bruce Lee, and, uh, and 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 be your own stereotype of being a uh, you know <laughs> a badass in uh, in uh, karate, and you can kick uh, somebody else's ass if uh, they uh, try to uh, you know say bad things about you. Uh, but anyway, um, seriously, the the moral minority uh, does a very bad uh, disservice uh, to our community because essentially it was uh, thought up by a bunch of academics or maybe a few academics in the U.S. Uh, in the early 70s and using the Chinese uh, as as the moral minority because uh, they were uh, hardworking uh, and few of them excelled in university, but. They did not see the Chinese community as a community like all other, uh, other communities. You know, we're part of the society. So our community was also a class uh, community, class society. Uh, very few of us make it to the top and go into Harvard or Yale or whatever and become doctors and engineers and lawyers. Uh, the majority of us uh, were working day-to-day -day jobs uh, to earn a living for ourselves and our family. So you have to uh, remember that. Uh, so the moral minority does not recognize that the majority of uh, Asians here in Canada uh, earn less money uh, than uh, non-Asians. Uh, so uh, because people think that uh, uh, we're Chinese or Asians that uh, you know we will be at the top of the uh, of the social ladder, but but we're not. And uh, and and so the only reason why the moral minority was set up was to set a, a minority up uh, to keep them in its place and to offer it up as a model for other minorities and essentially divide uh, various minorities. And, and, and that's always the, the trick that the, uh, the ruling class uh, would like to uh, use is to divide and conquer. And, and so when you divide a Chinese uh, model minority from say the blacks or the uh, Hispanics uh, in the United States, then that's the first step for you to uh, to be able to oppress uh, these people. And at the same time, by not recognizing uh, the day-to-day -day struggles of the Chinese community, then they don't have to do anything uh, other than to recognize the, um, the, the the fact that the Chinese model minority uh, was supposedly uh, uh, very quiet, uh, very diligent, hardworking, and so you can just uh, put them aside. You don't even have to uh, accommodate them or, 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 or put in uh, policies uh, to help uh, the day-to-day uh, -day, uh, wage earners uh, within the Chinese community. So, so, so these are the dangers of, uh, of buying into uh, these uh, stereotypes uh, and uh, the modern minority myth.
I think it's also interesting that Karis earlier you talked about how like Japanese media was a lot more well received than Chinese ones. Um, specifically for uh, for William, was there something like this, especially during the time of like the head tax? You're talking about the media, how the media uh, treated. I know, like um, you talked about the head tax that was here in Canada, yes. um, during your father and your grandfather's time. Was it only for Chinese people, or was there like mostly if they saw you as Asian, then they give you the head tax? No, no, it, the head tax applied just to Chinese people, mm-hmm. to Chinese immigrants. Uh, the, the history of, of Canada is such that, uh, you know, minorities, uh, the, the, the oppression of minorities is a, is a historical long running fact here in Canada. Uh, the Chinese were brought over to, uh, to build the uh, Canadian Pacific Railway out, out in Western Canada. And if you talk about moral minority, the Chinese uh, workers were the moral minority because uh, they were willing to work at half the wages of the whites and uh, and in the most dangerous jobs. So how moral can uh, do you want it? Uh, you know, to uh, to have these uh, uh, Chinese workers who who were expendable. Uh, so so if you want to apply uh, that kind of criteria to a yes, we were a moral minority, but. Uh, but after the uh, railroad was finished, uh, Canada did not want any more immigrants uh, from China to come uh, mm-hmm. to Canada, and so they imposed the uh, the head tax in 1885 uh, once the CPR was completed, okay. and that lasted until uh, the head tax uh, lasted until uh, 1923 when they brought in the uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act. It, it was purely applying uh, to the Chinese, but other minorities uh, were not spared uh, because when you have a, a time of difficulty, uh, you want to find scapegoats. And, uh, and that's why even today, you know, with the pandemic, uh, people, the media, government, uh, they're looking for scapegoats. And so uh, who, who is so easily identifiable in terms of scapegoats? Asian. Uh, and anybody that looks Chinese, uh, even Inuit people, uh, have been, uh, you know, told to go back to China uh, because uh, you know they they look a bit uh, like Chinese and uh, and Asians, and, and and so this is something that I think we all should be aware of, is uh, in in a time of economic difficulty, uh, we will become targets of scapegoats, and uh, and this is something that we need to stand up against. And so it wasn't just Chinese. I mean, the Japanese Canadians uh, were interned uh, during the Second World War and all the property uh, were taken away from them, were, were stolen from them. And uh, I don't need to get into the indig- indigenous peoples. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure you've all uh, you know, studied uh, how the indigenous people were dispossessed uh, by the Canadian ruling class and the, and the white uh, colonial uh, powers that. Uh, that took over the land. So, um, so having gone on this uh, rant, uh, I forgot your original question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just um, it was just that, like Kara said, um, Japanese media today is a lot more well received than like Chinese media. So, um, would you say that there exists a hierarchy of Asian ethnicities? 
um, <laughs> well, uh, maybe the powers that be uh, would like to establish something like that uh, in, in order to uh, divide people, uh, to divide the Asian community. Um, but then again, uh, you have to look at what the media does and what the media says, because uh, the Japanese media, from Japan anyway, uh, they align themselves uh, very much uh, with with American media, and so there. Uh, so in that way, uh, there's not much space for, uh, between them and and the U.S. media in terms of how they view, view the world. Whereas the Chinese media, of course, is seen as as the uh, as as the enemy, as you know, and so anything that comes out of the Chinese media, uh, the, their narrative is that you cannot trust them. Uh, because uh, anything that comes out of China uh, is uh, is evil. It's, um, <laughs> it's you know, because the uh, the Chinese government is not uh, transparent. It's authoritarian. It's dictatorial, and mm -hmm. so that's why you, you have this this whole uh, vilification of China uh, in the last couple of years. I mean, I mean, two years ago, you know, Chinese people were viewed favorably. Uh, by the media and in uh, in public survey, today uh, Chinese people are not viewed very favorably, and in, in the media and uh, in the government. And I mean, when the government passes resolutions uh, saying that uh, you know China is uh, genociding uh, you know certain minorities, and, uh, and 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 we have to impose sanctions because there's so much human rights abuse in China. I mean, it cannot help but condition people uh, to uh, to hate uh, these kinds of abuses. And so today, um, you know, the, gen you know, the general survey is that uh, uh, Chi the Chinese people are viewed very unfavorably uh, by, by the general public. And that will have uh, repercussions for uh, Asian Canadians, for Chinese Canadians. Uh, and, and that's that's where the hate, the, the Asian hate comes from. I mean, it started with the pandemic uh, because uh, nobody understood, uh, you know, what that was. And then the media and the government, uh, led by Trump, are saying that, "Wow, it's it's a, it's a Chinese, it's the, uh, you know, it's it's the Chinese flu, it's a kung flu, it's the Chinese uh, virus." And so once you start doing that, then you identify a, a minority uh, for scapegoating, and and these are the people that are responsible uh, for the bad things that are happening to us. Uh, they don't look at their own government and all the bad policies that their own government is uh, implementing. Uh, so, uh, so uh, a, a, a mysterious uh, government over in China, under you know, the Chinese Communist Party, is so easy to uh, to condition people to hate. And this is something that perhaps uh, you should think about in terms of uh, what the media does. Uh, the media is not the angel. The media is is an instrument of of the government to uh, to put forward its uh, its own uh, narrative and to put forward the propaganda in order to uh, get the support. And so, when you identify a, a certain minority, uh, I think you can coalesce a lot of support uh, for the media. Look at the uh, CAQ here in Quebec; mm -hmm. uh, they they rally the Quebec crop people. Uh, to oppose the uh, the hijab and other uh, religious minorities, uh, you know, uh, here in Quebec with this bill 
21. And, mm-hmm. and the survey has it that the, the majority of, of Quebec people uh, you know, support this. And, and then they play up this uh, identity uh, politics here in Quebec uh, f- to further divide people. And so this is something that I think young people uh, should be aware of. And, uh, and uh, maybe uh, for you to investigate and research uh, on your own. Um, yeah, I, I want to elaborate to uh, what uh, Professor Bjorn had just said. Lots of this have to do with you and us kind of mindset where in the Western society, minorities such as us Asians and other POC communities seem as an alienated thing that poses as a threat to uh, Western society as itself. You can see through with the history of colonial- colonizations and uh, mass uh, genocide against uh, um, indigenous people and, and uh, the measure that didn't take place during the 1960s and so forth, the, the oppression of uh, black communities itself. The whole, I think the whole Western agenda is opposing its own strength of enforcing that uh, competing power against whatever poses as a threat to their ideologies and then put forward by whatever um, Joe Biden uh, yesterday addressed to Congress said that they're they're competing against China in in space uh, build back America build back this dominance instead of cooperation that's what what China has been put forwarding this mindset of just complete different ideology poses as a severe threat to any uh, minority within Western society as this is just seen as a blockade or the obstacle for them to grow in their own progressions. Seen forward with the, the rise of um, Soviet Union before, they seem as an adversary. The new adversary for them is China and whatever put forward, whatever relates to China, it seems as a threat and that is hard for uh, Asian community within North America and Canada to grow itself because this this idea from systemic level is against our community. Even put forward by our uh, parliamentary uh, Chinese uh, MP uh, who is from Don Valley North, uh, Han Han Dong, when he was asking questions about the COVID-19s, everyone turned forward and, and look at him for, for an answer. This is just not right. It's it, it like in a systemic level, we're, we're being targeted in, in, in multitude ways, even in governmental levels, they have a prejudice and this is just being going on. It's a systemic problem. It's a ideological problem and this needs to be addressed. Yeah, I feel like we're getting more and more political. I just want to bring it back with what we talk about about media, because I feel like it's a binary thing. So the so the pressure that many Asians are having trying to trying to live in an American world does not only come from American society, but it also comes from uh, where we were from. Because I, I I presume that many of us would have families or if not grandparents living back in Asia. And in my case, it's China. So like they care about us. So they will want to know like if we're doing good here and they will look at the news. And uh, when we talk about the news, right? Just like we believe from our, our and by we, I mean like Americans here, 
we believe from our news that China is dangerous. Everything is censored. No, no one has human rights. Uh, well, it's the same thing. They hear from their news that America is dangerous. Like there's mass shooting everywhere. Hate crime happens every day. Like as a minority, you put your life on risk by walking on the street, which we know. Well, it's not that. It's not that much of the of the thing, right? But and don't get me wrong. Like American news are better on being subjective. My point is that, like the news, is the only way they can get information, and they will believe that you are struggling to survive here, and they will and they will worry about you. They will say, oh, like if you are struggling, why don't you come back to China? Like don't don't put don't put yourself in danger. Like be safe, so, something like that. But I mean, wow, that's pure pressure. You know, you know what I mean. Like, like it's really, it's really, it's really, it's really a binary thing. Like, like your families, like they, there are good intentions. They care about you, but like it's not their fault. It's not our fault. But the news, the media, the propagandas make them think that we are struggling. And to prove that we are not, we are doing fine. We could achieve something here. We need to prove to them that we are good here, and that's why we are working harder and harder to trying to, to become someone. Let's say. Um. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to media, if it's possible, like with Chinese media. Um. Have you guys heard of the game Genshin Impact by any chance? Like it's like it's like really big, right? And like we all know it's Chinese, right? Like, cause like I hope so. Um. But then like the way the way that. The English and localization was localized was very Japanese. Like they had like Genshin instead of Yuanshin, um, and then they also had the English and the Japanese voice actors on it because like they would know that a lot of like basic like weeaboos would like know these voice actors are like super popular and they will like buy the game, which makes money for MiHoYo, right? It's a smart marketing move, but at the same time, like I just don't. I just also feel like they should um include the Chinese cast. In it because it's the original, um, because it's like the original source material, and all of that. And then, um, and then I'm frequently on Twitter, which is already a yikes. But um, like there's like this, there's like a lot of fans are like being like xenophobic towards the game. Like I don't think they realize it. It's also there's this Chinese like inspired region, um, in the game called Liyue. And then like a lot of like there's some people that like try to like pronounce it, and I'm very grateful for it. And now they're like, oh, like, can you like teach me how to like, say like the specific name? And then like, I'll like teach them. And like, it's okay if they don't get the pronunciations right. Like, as long as they try, I'm very happy. But like, there are like a lot of like a lot of the big content creators that do stream the game. They are like kind of racist, like toward like what the names or the like the Chinese name, what the Chinese names of the characters that are from like the Chinese that from like the Chinese based country. Like, I remember like going on YouTube and I was like, oh, like maybe I'll just like play like a small like, a cute and funny Genshin video in the background while I do my work and then like the YouTuber ended up like really butchering the name and like he sounded like like he wasn't trying like there's a character named Xiangling in there and then like I think like I just erased this from my memory but I think the guy was go was like was like going like was like literally saying Ching Chong and I was like and I was like I was so disgusted by it I just clicked out of the video and like I just I just like can't stand it, and then like there's also how like some mis some translation errors because like you know how like Chinese is like a language where like 
one sentence or like four word can mean like a whole paragraph, right? With like a lot of context, right? And then so and then like there are like Chinese fans are like doing fan translations, like modifying the official ones because it's like badly translated in English. But then like there are like these people that are like, oh but like why should we listen to like the Chinese? Like that's the source material by the way. Then like why should we like listen to like a you like you're like a Chinese person? Like how would you know this game is like originally Japanese? Like it's also like the way how it's marketed and how like Japanese culture is seen as like a fetish almost. It's like so appealing and so romanticized. And like how like Chinese culture is like xenophobic. And like no, um sorry, I phrased it wrong. Like how like people are like just like uh uh xenophobic and all that. Um and like I was pretty happy when I heard Genshin was popular because I was like, oh like it's a Chinese game, like and there's like uh there's like a Chinese region really early on again that people can explore and like they can like learn more about like Chinese culture and stuff. I was really grateful, but then like that's also the other side where like there are people that are like openly mocking their names and then like openly like mocking like Chinese concepts, like you know the concept of like sworn brothers and all that. Like that's being like made fun of. So I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean it's not like well well, give well, give Batna another Chinese name when when it's in China. So why can't we do the same, right? Yeah. And yeah, and and plus, the, like they are pronouncing Xiangling in the game for you. Can you try? I know. It's like try to imitate instead of Ching Chong. I know, and, and like, I'm like 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 if you if you if you if you like you if you do do the name horribly, like if you pronounce anything like Xianglings or anything, that's not a problem. Like. You, you can't pronounce it well, not a problem. But maybe, maybe like try at least. Yeah, like, like this. Maybe, maybe Ching Chong is not necessarily the best yeah. way to do it. There's also like, yeah. what's worse is that there's like this video about how to pronounce the Liyue characters, yeah. the Liyue places. And like, oh, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I get that like by voice preference, you might prefer the Japanese voice or like the voiceover mm -hmm. or stuff. Or like you prefer the Chinese one. I play it. I sometimes force myself to play fully in Chinese just so I can learn better, even though I'm illiterate for like ninety five percent of the time, and I take ten minutes to read one sentence. But like, but like, I feel like um because like people like Japanese so much, they also consider it the Japanese like the original dubbing and all. Mm -hmm. And like I hear people like say like Titi, like someone was like, oh, this is wee wee <laughs> like. Oh. Uh, next time I'm calling okay. Superman Mr. Chow. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you had a comment? Yeah, I will have a comment because I think in part of uh, MiHoYo and its companies, it's it's reflect of how like the general like Chinese societies you discriminate. You're not educated in, in, in the matters of uh, suppression of minorities. Out, uh, in, outside China, they are not realize that. The issue is that we need, like Chinese community itself need to be educated on this matter furthermore, not just talking about us in, in, in this round table. Uh, I think in general purposes, us is we need unity within our community and we need to bring people forward together to be more educated, to be more mindful in this matter. So when we we oppose with those uh, social issues that's come forward in our community, we wouldn't feel this 
uh, much panicking. We, we we're not we're not going to we're going to experience less if we just brought forward and more educated in this matter and bear awareness more. Yeah. Okay, Charles. And yeah, just to further on add to what Beiyang was saying, I feel like it all boils down back to also the exposure of children and education. And I feel like, like as much as we say, like we imagine a curriculum that explores the history of uh, Asians in America and in Canada, such as what William talked about, for instance, how it was Asians who built the railways. Asians were the ones who were cleaning and washing and doing all these chores. And yet, I feel like, I think there's the need also, because educators can't teach what they don't know, because inevitably, most of us didn't learn much anything about Asian American history in school. So I feel like there's also the need of educators needing to question the histories they were taught and the work to learn and the work and work to learn it with a critical and inclusive eye like and in the end we need to dream how we need to dream that uh, uh an education system where children are overwhelmed with expansive reading choices that celebrate the full complexity of our humanity i mean growing up most of the api characters i saw on the shelf were like sidekicks or stereotypes. Like I want representation or choices to they to be robust and revelatory. Mm -hmm. Definitely, Charles. And I think it's true. Stereotypes, like we think of them, yeah, no way people can be like that. But they do have real world effects, right? Because a few um about a month ago, correct me if I'm wrong. There was that man who shot up um, several Asian women-owned massage parlors in Atlanta, and he claimed to have done so to eliminate temptations for his sexual addiction. And obviously, with COVID-19 also, there has been that surge in anti-Asian hate crimes because people think we're a virus. So knowing this, how does it make you feel? Have you changed your lifestyle anyway? Are you concerned well i mean i'm definitely not going out but not necessarily because of because of any the any asian hate but i do realize that the that the uprising asian hates feelings is linked to the to the to the pandemic but i mean well like conspiracy theories put aside like we don't get to choose where the where the viruses comes from right like it's no one's fault, and but I feel like it is what it is. Like, so at some point, at some point, people people are gonna people are gonna try to find the scapegoat, like William was saying, and for this time, we we are being the scapegoat. Like, not not that they don't get that it's not necessarily our fault, but they are they may want they may want to try to try to find a scapegoat to make them feel better. Like, oh, it's, oh, it's not, it's not that, it's not that our society, we can't defeat a virus. It's just because that China is trying, is trying to attack us with a, with a virus, etc. something like that. Uh, I feel like, 
at yeah yeah at first I don't I don't that's not true and I hate those people who are saying it. But secondly, like how do how do you how do you plan to deal with that? Like, is there anything I can do to to change the matter? I'm not sure. Like, I, am I just going to accuse them of being? Of being racist, like who do I accuse? Like there, there are literally like millions of people out there who who say or who might not say, but who thinks the same thing. Who do I accuse them? Like we're minorities at the end of the day, and when a majority thinks the same, well, I feel like sometimes is is there anything I can do? That's the question I'm asking myself. Yeah, Fei Yang. Yeah, I think like what happened recently with the Atlanta shootings have just further solidified my purpose and my end goal in life. As because before beforehand I was um I was pretty lost about where I'm going with life and such, and you know. Uh, it, it, I have an epiphany moments that I realized I really need to do something for my community. I need to stand up as, you know, put forward things by all the experiences I had personally with the, in the education system. I had uh, the racism I, I received. Just, it's, it's seriously, uh, it's like heartbreaking, heartbreakingly to see those things happen. My I I I have a 84 year old grandparents live in my house, and I I'm worried about their uh, safety. I'm worried about my parents' safety when when they go out in in the streets. They, my parents wouldn't even allow my uh, grandma to go out because level of hate it's within the society. It's it's almost surreal. It's in 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 a civilized society that where racism is still prevalent and still ongoing. It's just unimaginable. That's why what happened with the Atlanta shooting just furthermore to solidify my goal to to get in the system to address this systemic issues from within. Yeah. I mean my thoughts are pretty similar to what everyone said. I guess more than scared, I feel frustrated mostly because I don't know, for the past life, like, racism, it's present, it's here. Like, some people might try to deny, like, oh, Asians, I mean, yeah, racism, but it's, like, not that, no. It's always, like, oh, just keep it to ourselves. We're not the type to complain. We are raised not to complain against our parents um, unless we want severe punishment that I won't say, because, yeah. But <laughs> I've always been, like, pretty meek, and I just hate seeing how this happens and no one really cares. People don't even consider us as POCs, I feel, a lot of time. Like, we're not white, obviously, but we're not POCs either. We're just there, here, like invisible almost. And so for this to happen to us also, like the fact that it happens to anyone is bad, but that's why like recently this is really random but I've like added the Chinese flag in my Instagram bio it was just a little thing and I remember my mom being like why did you do that like you're first of all you're born here you're not even like that tied to China why do you gotta bring all that trouble to you mm -hmm. and just like yeah I guess it is troubling and I guess I might 
get in shit. Maybe, probably, for some reason, if someone sees and, mm-hmm. like, stuff. But, I don't know. I just want to be in a place, in a moment where, like, it's so, not embarrassing, but it's so scary. Scary? I can't find the right term, but it's not good being Asian right now. I want to assert the fact that, despite everything, I want to be proud of being Asian for once. Yeah, I also I just wanted to do a follow up on Harina's comment on the fact that we were meek Asians. I, one thing that I often hear re- repeated, and I still believe a lot of time, is the idea that Asians are quiet and submissive. But I feel like that's from one the Westernized media that paints the weaponized model minority myth, and also to the toxic parts of Asian subculture that are not the good in the Asian uh, heritage. Like, I mean, if the if our community, our AAPI community keeps saying that we don't speak up, we don't fight back, then that's kind of like um, removing a ton of Asian history. And it's following exactly what Western history books have done to us. We're unseen because we were erased, undermined, overlooked. And it's not because we didn't speak up enough. But I do completely agree regarding the invisibility. Very real systemic forces have painted us invisible and verbally and physically assaulted us, hence the Atlanta shootings. And that's very real. But even more, these forces, it's what's convincing us that, oh, we don't speak up. So there's really nothing we can do. It's a system. But I feel like it's not something that we have to fall for. It's... It's, I feel like it's easy to think that there's nothing much we can do because it's how can you fight something that's always been a reality for so long? And that's why I feel like I'll give this floor to um, William. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, you. You've all brought up very good points and, uh, and, and that leads to, uh, I guess, the question was, you know, what can we do? What is there to be done? Um, you know, we live here in this reality. Uh, as one of the speakers said, uh, we don't live in China, so there's nothing we can do about what's going on in China. It's up to the Chinese people uh, to resolve their own uh, issues and their own problems. Uh, we live in Canada. We all consider us, uh, ourselves to be uh, proud Canadians. And so we want to make this society better for all of us that, that live here. And I know and myself included, uh, because of the lockdown and, and the uh, and the hatred that uh, that I'm bound to face when I go to the grocery store somewhere, and uh, that you know I can understand why a person would feel de- demobilized and demoralized. Uh, but nevertheless, you know we have to break out of this uh, stereotype that that we end uh, being demobilized. Uh, and and have a develop more critical thinking uh, in terms of the the news that we're bombarded with every day as to uh, as, as to what's going on in the world. Uh, and the only thing I can say is that uh, there is something we can do. Uh, there is you know mobilization that that we can do instead of uh, just being. Uh, uh, in a uh, passive situation, 
the first thing I think uh, we should do is to uh, to know ourselves and to know what the struggle is. Uh, do the research uh, because uh, you know it seems to be overwhelming. Uh, you may think you're just one person, uh, but you're not. You know, there's a, a one and a half million uh, Chinese Canadians uh, here in Canada. There's uh, uh, all the Asians that are in Canada. There's four or five million people. And and so so we have a lot of people. Uh, we we have a lot of numbers. So it's just a question of how how do we uh, mobilize ourselves? How you know instead of becoming demobilized? Uh, so so I, the only thing I can say is that and, and and that's my own process is is to to know myself to understand what the struggle is what uh, what we need to do to overcome uh, this passivity uh, this uh, helplessness that we feel that we're in. Uh, so, so we have to do that. We have to, and, and once we know, uh, you know, what the situation is, and develop some critical, critical thinking uh, on this issue, we get together with uh, like like-minded people. We get together with people who've experienced uh, this. Uh, get together with people who've uh, uh, encountered uh, racism, or who've been attacked, or who are survivors of, of racism. And as the Lawrence uh, mentioned earlier. Um, I think some of you have gone out to uh, demonstrations, uh, united with others uh, within our community, and, and and that's probably the first step we can do. Uh, so 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 know ourselves, know know the struggle, do our own research, and secondly is is how do we um, organize ourselves? How do we unite uh, to fight back against uh, this uh, helplessness? Uh, that we feel today because of, uh, of what the uh, larger society is, uh, is, is saying and what the media is saying uh, about us. Uh, so, so get together. I think uh, this is the first step. You know, uh, I think there's about 10 or 12 people who are on this, uh, on this seminar, uh, discussing amongst ourselves as to what's the best course to take. Uh, so, so learn from what everybody's saying, and, uh, and and see how you can unite yourself. And uh, dare I say that maybe you should form an uh, anti-racist organization. I don't know whether there is such a thing, uh, but if there isn't, uh, you know, here, here's a perfect opportunity uh, to to uh, you know to get out of this state of helplessness is to get together with others. Uh, in order to uh, to be able to fight back, and so once you're able to do that, then you can go out into the larger community and start educating people, educate other students at uh, Marianopolis because you you have a, a big student body there, and I'm sure people are open uh, to doing so because out there, uh, you know, I I remember uh, you know being such an old person that after the 1995 uh, referendum. Uh, for separation in Quebec, uh, Perizzo came out and said, well, we lost the uh, referendum because of the ethnics. And so after that, yes, I was afraid to, to ride a metro to go to work uh, because people were looking at me as, as one of these ethnics uh, that caused them to lose the referendum. And then a few years later, there was a SARS, there was a SARS uh, outbreak. And, and uh, again, sitting on a metro or sitting on a bus, uh, people did not want to sit next to me because I'm such an obvious-looking uh, Asian person, and 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 so and so these things are out there. But once you understand 
you know, people's visceral reaction to you as an Asian person, then you, you know, then, then you, that's the first step for you to try and, and, uh, and work with them and make them understand that, as they say here for the pandemic, you know, we're all in this together. And so put that into practical uh, application that we are in this together. But first of all, we have to, uh, you know, when you encounter uh, racism, you know, the first thing I guess uh, you would like to do is to get together with other people uh, that that are victims of the same racism. So once you uh, unite and uh, and start mobilizing people amongst yourselves, then you can go out there and start educating others. And so, so so that's the first. Those are the three steps I, I can I can see. It's one is uh, know yourself, know the struggle, uh, do the do the research. Secondly, uh, you mobilize and you unite people who have the same uh, thinking uh, and uh, and organize amongst yourselves. And, and then finally, to go out into the larger society and to educate other people. Thank you, William. That was really touching. I I didn't know that um, Quebec actually blamed the loss of the referendum on the ethnics. That that was interesting to hear. Yeah, the uh, the premier of Quebec at that time was uh, Jacques Carousseau, and that same evening that uh, that they lost, uh, you know, they lost by a very very small percentage. Uh, he uh, he got up there uh, in, in the media and said uh, we lost this because of uh, money and the ethnic vote. So I guess money he uh, he refers to the <laughs> to the banks. I I don't know what, what the money is, but uh, but uh, but the Quebec Corps controls the money here in Quebec. So mm-hmm. so I don't know what other money he's talking about. Uh, but the ethnic vote is what stuck with people, and so See. as a member of the ethnic community, you know, I saw myself as being a target. It was the head of this province that targeted me. And that brings us to the end of the roundtable. Thank you everyone for tuning in to listen. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Min, and the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers!